You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 566, Farewell Mock the Week, Hello Big Brother, Multi-Millionaire Damien Hurst Burns His Paintings, and Cheerio to Bernard Cribbins. That's all coming up after XTC and When You're Near Me, I Have Difficulty. Why they didn't ever gain huge international Mm. acclaim remains a mystery to this day from the underrated album Drums and Wires released in August 1979, XTC, and When You're Near Me, I Have Difficulty. Very much agree with you. Perhaps they were just a bit too weird. Although, having said that, Devo managed to break through. And I I know they don't always sound that alike, but I put them in Mm. the same sort of angular, spiky, slightly weird box. I very much enjoyed this, which I hadn't heard for some time. The thing that I really liked about this and like you, I wonder why this wasn't bigger 
mm. and it actually was was it sounds a bit like the beat in terms of kind of mm. grown up scar and uh, well, I think I picked Save It for Later a little while ago and mm. and I got I a similar yeah. yes I got a similar vibe off this actually so like you a bit bit puzzled although having said that with, with lots of these bands uh, often their biggest strength is also their their sort of biggest weakness um Andy Partridge is a great asset but also rather infamous in sort of falling out with people and, yes, and not being terribly true. easy to work with so one wonders if it might be Julian Cope syndrome all yeah, over again very good point I think that's probably summarized it in a nutshell yes welcome to the parish council it's episode 566 i'm terence stackham and football's back and coincidentally here's the top of the premier league of broadcasters it's julia <laughs> harris that's too kind i'm more of the brentford to your manchester city i think but i'm always willing to be along i do come to you broadcasting in my version of the horrible warm-up top that the lionesses wore um during uh, their wonderful wonderful reign and their victory making me very happy and quite teary so uh, so yes i having said that ready to i've got my fantasy football team ready one of the players i had in my squad um i didn't pick last night and he did really well so i've started the fantasy football Uh, season very much as i will probably be continuing it so good morning everybody this week the bbc announced that the panel show mock the week hosted Mm. since 2005 by dara o'brien is to be discontinued after one more season to be fair any show that lasts for 20 seasons and to date 222 mm. episodes must have some merit but I'm, i must confess up front that this show has never really appealed to me it it's lacked genuine humor to me and relies too heavily on a rather cruel mm. edge and the usual complaint that i call the nish kumar syndrome in that simply being rude or sweary or saying something horrible mm. about conservative politicians doesn't automatically mean that you're a comic genius regardless of your own massive self-belief what am i missing jules and will you miss mock the week well, I mean, I'd like you. I've always felt that the, the problem with Mock the Week is that so they've spelt week wrong and they should, it should be spelt mm. W-A-E-K because that is very much what that programme seems to be. I've always found it, and I know that it was one of the, the panel shows that was given as the example of the sort of the, the BBC's policy to always make sure there was at least one woman on a mm. panel show that I think we we discussed at the time. Yes. And Mock the Week was one of the shows that was giving as an example of, you know, it, it was an all-male bear pit otherwise. Um, it, it perhaps slightly less so since they started having more women on. But for me, it's always the bit where they, where the, the bit that always gives me the vapors, particularly, is the bit where they have to improv a sort of a mm. thing, and they all have to kind of push past each other yes. to get to the mic. And I just, I've always found it a little bit too much of a kind of a of a gladiatorial thing really and and as a result of which it then tends towards the outrageous because everybody tries to outdo the people that follow them in a way that have i got news for you and things like that don't seem to be i'm not saying that have i got news for you hasn't got issues as well but but you see what i mean this is particularly peculiar to this program the funniest thing is is that uh, is that daro breen always seems like a really sort of gentle fellow and i always find it very strange that he's hosting this program when he's actually been extremely funny about mock the week being cancelled on social media he said i've really enjoyed all the chat about mock today it's been really sweet thank you and people have been kindly checking i still have work after this of course i do exciting news i'm in the new batgirl movie i got an email today about release dates must check that (laughs) 
that. So, <laughs> so he's actually been, I, dare I say it, funnier than the programme. Yeah. Talking about it, it's d- demise. I mean, uh, you could say, oh, it's a good time to cancel it. It's 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 tired now. And and the thing about those formats, and I love the fact that he was quoted as saying, rather oh, Riley, I think, oh, we've run out of news, which of course we have more news than ever it would seem, but. I, uh, maybe this didn't get tired like like you i'm not hugely keen on this it always felt a little bit tired to me in the first place really but um you know it, it's had a good run um we we some things do get revived there's talk it might be revived on another channel um the daily mash is now sort of a late night thing on dave the, the comedy channel I wonder if this might turn up on somewhere like that, where there's an audience for the channel of Dave, but it's not the pressure of it being on mm. on on the BBC. We we had the revival of Never Mind the Buzzcocks, didn't we? That we reviewed yeah. on this program, and that seemed to be okay. Um, yeah, it's 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 difficult to know what its future is really, because unless you get people that are spectacularly good, I mean, I think have I got news for you as tired as that is in places, it mm. has survived because the team captains are very good. They're really good. The guest host thing, which I know they had to come up with as a sort of a a, a, a fix to get them out of trouble with the Angus Deason stuff, that has actually prolonged the programme really well in that they often pick some really interesting guest hosts that you, and I'm putting to one side the launching of Boris Johnson's career, and uh, they often get people that are really interesting and they find ways of, the format manages to feel new in a way because the guest host host is different every week and perhaps the problem with Mot the week was aside from its other issues it just stayed the same and the thing about those programs unless it is something like coronation street or eastenders but even so they have new characters in them don't they characters come and go i know it's slightly performing comparing apples and oranges but you know doctor who there's always new things isn't there there's always there's always kind of new new stuff that you can experience and and although there is always new news isn't there the clues in the name um it's there's just it was it just became very staid and if the pro- format never changes which Mott the Week didn't really because the host was the same as, as lovely as Dar is the the captains are the same you had different guests on but yeah those things unless you can shake it up in the way that have I got news for you managed to innovate them their way out of trouble it's it's you know all these things are going to have a natural end point I think um, with, with Mock the Week, I think noting, noting that it's pre-recorded, sub, mm. some substantial mistakes or errors of judgment have been made over the years mm. by editors and producers. Some uh, jokes made, in particular by Frankie Boyle, in particular mm. about women, were just simply nasty. So I'm not sad to see it go. No, um, fair enough. One show that we thought had shuffled away for good is Big mm. Brother, yes. originally launched as a social experiment in 2000 mm. and slumped to a rather ragged reality show ending in 2018 an enormous rating hit ratings hit in its uh, its early days bringing fame i suppose uh, Mm. launching the careers of uh, presenters uh, called o'leary russell brand however um by the by the final season in 2018 it was tucked away on channel five uh it was the show it was a shadow of its early years no Mm. no one cared who won um, and nobody remembers their names but it seems that to coincide with the launch of ITV's streaming service, ITVX. Well, it sounds like some sort of wrestling competition, doesn't <laughs> it, really? I was very confused by this one. But or ITV adult X. content. 
Exactly. Yes. Or some kind of extreme sport. But we yes. had that with the, with the ill-fated the jump on Channel Four, didn't yes, we? Yes, that's right. Next on ITVX. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping from outer space. We I was going to say them. it's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, as opposed to next on ITV Four, the champions followed yes, by World yes. Darts. Yeah. I, I love the champions. Um, <laughs> yes, me big, too. But still. Big Brother is it is to return after an absence of five years. Then on ITV Two and ITVX yep. in May and June 2023. I mean, do you think this is going to be a triumphant return or, or perhaps a damp squib? It would be really interesting to see. Like all things with Big Brother, I, it, could, it could genuinely go either way, this. Mm. I was interested to hear that it was brought back. Like you, I remember it as a social experiment. I watched the first series and really enjoyed it. Mm. I was... Uh, 2000, did you say the first series? 2000, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I was about to turn 16 and I, I found it really interesting. And also as a, a young, sort of gradually emerging gay person, I found the inclusion of Anna, the skateboarding nun that, that was... That <laughs> was gay to be genuinely a, a really inspiring actually a, a real sort of it was nice that that somebody was visible at that point for me that, that was weirdly quite important to me so so I was fond of the original idea of it I mean you could say a similar thing to mock the week that in order to try and stay relevant big brother became more and more outrageous didn't it uh, the yeah. infamous fight nights i seem to remember and and things like that as a result of which it drifted away from its original aims and just became about histrionics and shock value and was less interesting as a result it's interesting to read about the revival of it because when i had a look at this article on the nme um which still exists speaking of things that you can't imagine they still exist yet they somehow do the enemy website which has broadened to provide and actually the enemy website has always been quite good and still is and provides a sort of a broader entertainment style news offering now it is interesting and this it says here that um a cast of carefully selected housemates from all walks of life will live with each other for up to six weeks in the iconic big brother house which has given a contemporary new look um i wonder if so the I think the crucial difference, and I'd be interested, the proof of the pudding is going to be in the eating, I think, with mm. the kind of housemates they select. The thing that crucially made the early series, I think, so interesting was the fact that the people they picked what were older in lots of cases. I mean, remember the Nasty Nick saga, which yeah. when you look at it now is so endearingly minor compared to some of the stuff that exploded on Big Brother. He wrote some names on a piece of paper and there was almost, I mean, Craig the Builder from Liverpool questioning him in the manner of an inspector calls. It's genuinely amazing TV yeah. given how minor the transgression was in the grand scheme of life. Um, yeah, it was older people. They'd had experience in life. They had interesting things to talk about, like Anna the Skateboarding Nun and it, and I, so I wonder if they pick people, if it was a, is it, if it is about the people rather than the wacky tasks they have to do. Although some of the tasks have been great. One of the early series had a had an air. I think the young big brother. One of them had an air traffic control task, which is possibly one of the funniest things I've seen in my life. So it can be good TV. As long as it's not shock value TV and actually human relationships are fascinating and always will be. And I think that it was a great idea when it first started. So innovative. And if they can get it back to that kind of route where it's about the people and how they interact rather than in a a human way, rather than, you know, shock value and, and, and all that kind of stuff. There could be a place for it and perhaps and we've talked about this previously. 
a brave and interesting thing to do in a world that's increasingly quick and mad and particularly Love Island where everyone's sort of pairing up and everything changes very quickly and it's all about the drama could you could you reinvent or get it back to Big Brother's roots of slow TV is because the original Big Brother was slow TV wasn't it you could watch the live feed 24 hours a day not a lot happened at times. Yes, there was the moment of, of Nasty Nick where it caught fire, but but maybe maybe Big Brother as slow TV, that might be its role. Annoyingly, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it could work if they calm everything down a bit. Yes, I agree. And exactly. Also... That's such a line as well. Annoyingly, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> so many people say that to me all the time, <laughs> Terence. I, I hope they don't make it a version of Love Island with sort yeah. of influences and insta stars as yes. housemates. I would say um pick housemates because they're potentially interesting. Yes. And please don't shove alcohol at them. Don't contrive yes. arguments and situations. Uh, keep it simple. Keep it warm hearted. And uh, yeah, yes. I agree with you that that could be a success. And uh, Absolutely. Particularly in a world which seems to be increasingly divided. Yes. If you get a, a range of people and they're able to sort of be together, that might be interesting. That mm. might work. I agree. And we can all find out how it pans out on TV in 2023 um if we're still all uh if we're spared as they say um, <laughs> my nan used to say that and we used to mock her and now in this year 2022 in well, britain i get exactly what she means coming right up the new wave of art ends up with damien hurst destroying his own works um that's next after you've heard it at every sports stadium here's the original <laughs> from neil diamond where it began I can't begin to knowing But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you
went to a, a rather grand party in Kent fairly recently that was so grand that when we were right it's like something like the Great Gatsby when we arrived in a field um near where the party venue was we were put onto a golf buggy and driven down in order to get to the party which is always a sign it's going to be Your quite life, grand I think. Honestly. it's mad isn't it I don't quite know what happened but anyway we were at this thing and there were different sort of it was it was a large do and there were different areas and one of the areas was a karaoke area and inevitably when me and some friends walked walked through into this weird little walled garden where the karaoke was taking place and we walked into it inevitably as we walked through there was a man with a microphone going reaching out touching hands <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah of course, of course someone is doing sweet caroline and um, my friend who was a fan of it was said even i cannot bear to hear this again but um it had a had a, it was introduced in a comedy style at the at the start of the pandemic where people were telling neil diamond to stop reaching out and touching hands that was not what you should be doing at the start of the pandemic but um it is its popularity among sports crowds is on the one hand fairly inexplicable it's not really linked or related to sport at all is it it's just something no, you can sing really loudly but having said that I, I admire it giving Neil Diamond a second lease of life. I I admire sort of um how it's a good it's a good time good natured song, isn't it really? And the lovely moment when England women won the Euros and they tried to interview Chloe Kelly, the the score of the winner afterwards. And to be fair, she lasted about three minutes before then breaking off and singing along with Sweet Caroline on mic in the middle of the interview, which is a, a genuinely joyful and joyous moment. And I the only thing I would say listening to that record in the context of just hearing Neil Darwin sing it someone said on Twitter the other day he does not need to sing that as hard as he does he really goes through it and you can kind of sense his voice sort of cracking into about five bits by the end but it's it's a great anthem and it's it's now a, a really good time song so so why not let's have a little bit of good times uh, Neil Diamond and Sweet Caroline it's quite stirring to hear Sweet Caroline it in its original form after it hearing is, it sung it's, it's you know it's sung so lustily as you say mm. in sporting occasions in recent years. It's uh, it's also it's uh, it's rather like the chorus to Hey Jude. It's eminently yes. singalongable in a crowd, yes. and I think that's what's made it so so very popular. But it's uh, anthemic, you know, isn't it? It's an yeah. anthem, and that's that's what we need. For years in the Groucho Club in London, there was mm. a piece of art on the wall. It was a neon sign mm. created by Tracy Emin that lit up a quiet corner of the famous club in London's glittering Soho. Um, mm. But 
I again, your there. life, your life, said he. You also yeah. lead a fancy yeah, pants. Well, life. exactly. Yes. Look at the two of us. But I, I was, <laughs> I was there just before the pandemic, and it had disappeared. So I asked a waiter, and mm. he told me that Tracy Emin had come in, asked for it, uh, because she wanted to take it away and destroy it. And at the time, Gosh. I found that quite peculiar. Mm. But now we learn that Tracy Emin's contemporary, Damien Hurst, another of the young British artists from, uh, I guess, the 80s mm. and 90s, he's planning to burn many of his works last year in 2021. This is what amazes me. I just can't, I just can't really contemplate this. Last year in 2021, mm. Hurst launched an NFT project called The Currency. 10,000 pieces of paper with dots on, each right. corresponding to a non-fungible token. Right. By the end of the year, this this project had had, had realised it had made $25 million for Hearst. <sighs> These 10,000 pieces of dots on paper with their token. So it's the dotted paper from the physical artworks of this NFT business Mm -hmm. that Hearst is going to set fire to as part of the show. And I mean, if that's going to create him $25 million in a sense, I think, well, good luck to you. But I just Mm. don't understand this. Hearst says this project explores the boundaries of art and currency, but it feels a bit like the tedious argument that's raged for centuries about the about the validity mm. of art. And it took me back, certainly, to way back in the 70s. One of the questions on my History of Art A-level exam paper simply read, but is it art? Discuss. Just mm. those uh, mm. five words. So, George, is this someone with pots of money and limited talent borrowing the emperor's new clothes? Or am I really, I just don't get this. Am I, am I missing something again? And part of me always wonders... And I don't criticise him for this, but when I think of the sort of the Groucho, Fat Les, Vindaloo mm. sort of crowd that he came from, because he was very much adjacent to all of that, is he just a bit of a chancer? Is he yeah. just is he just a bit of a is this just chance in yeah. your arm and seeing how much money you can make out of silly rich people? Which to be fair, I'm not anti him doing that. I can see the point in that. Like when we talked about inventing Anna and the um Anna Seavey and her her taking of um Anna Delvey rather and her taking her taking daft people in the Arctic you know, Arctic establishment for lots of money. It's it's just so strange this, isn't it? I agree with you. It's it's this is art and it's or art and inverted commas it's most bewildering for me and the fact that um that the interesting thing about this is that people were given the choice so buyers but as you say the nfts correspond to these to these pieces of these pieces of art um and buyers were given the option of keeping the NFTs or trading them in for the physical artwork. The collector cannot keep both. The exchange is a one-way process, so choose carefully. So it's a gamble, isn't it? it, it yeah. You know, which which way have you picked correctly? Which I guess if you've got a lot of money and some time on your hands and you like risks and that sort of thing, that might be quite an exciting thing. But yeah, I find this and the destruction of things really strange as well. Although you could argue that. Uh, this reminds me of of artists deleting their back catalogue as musicians, which, of course, nowadays is is less impactful because there's always something somewhere online, isn't there? But but back in the day, for example, Egg and Alice and the, uh, Lewis Taylor, all the all that kind of stuff yeah. was deleted and took on this kind of mythical and it, they are great records can i say having having heard them now now that they're sort of more available online i have heard them and they're great but they took on this sort of mythical kind of quality didn't they and who knows maybe 
Damien Hurst is hoping for that sort of thing here. But it just smells too much of money for me to think, oh, this is a very daring experiment. It's it's just I, I have more time for the destruction of your own art i can see i can see the appeal of it for wanting to keep moving i can understand that i can understand you know not wanting to be bound by the past but if you're making as much money as damien hirsch reportedly is off it i'm a little more cynical about it i must admit yes this destruction of art by its makers i remember reading when francis bacon died that Mm. dozens and dozens of uh, destroyed canvases were found at the back of his studio and for some yes. reason he couldn't paint over them like artists have traditionally done over the mm. centuries um so he, he sort of slashed and ripped them but of course the most infamous destruction was when bill drummond and jimmy courty yes. burned a billion quid yes. on a scottish island and i know many people question whether they actually did it my feeling is that they did and that it was one of the most stupid pieces of performance art um ever created yes and i i seen i was looking this up and i couldn't quite find who it was but i seem to remember there was a similar stunt where an artist that had a conveyor belt that destroyed all of their personal possessions uh, there's something like that happened that rung a rung a, a distant bell in right. the back of my mind and yes it does it, it, I mean, the problem is, is that I suppose it depends on the time which we're doing it. But in the times in which we're living in Britain at the moment, as we talk about this and the impending financial doom, apparently, oh, and the Lord, cost, yeah. the cost of living crisis that will cause so much genuine pain for so many people. And again, I'm not sure, you know, I, I was too young to be, I wasn't an adult at this point, but I think back to sort of the recession of the late 80s, early 90s, and similar things sort of happening. And just thinking, you know, it just feels so tone deaf, doesn't it, really? The yeah. the idea that you're, that you're doing this and making money and destroying things, and isn't it great? And there are people whose lives are probably going to be destroyed in the next few months. And, and yeah, and I know that probably sounds... But I just I just it's, it's can't, a very strong link, I yeah. can't I can't suspend disbelief for this anymore. You know, when times when times are good, fine. Everything's a, a jolly old laugh, isn't it? As much as the 90s mm. were. But I don't feel we're there at the moment, really. And and I just I find I can understand why you want to start again. But I just the destruction feels. Feel, I, I get the need to move on, but equally the destruction at the moment, when we live in such an uncertain world, it just perhaps it's a comment and a satire on that. Who knows? But I, I'm sick of destruction, Terence. I'm sick of things being ruined. I'm th- sick of things being destroyed. I'd rather people made beautiful things for everybody to enjoy forevermore, I think. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Next up, an example of irritating newspaper clickbait. <laughs> and we say a fond cheerio to Bernard Crimmins. We very much do. That's right after Starcore. Yeah. 
you enjoyed that and think you would like to uh, see Starcrawler mm. live, they are all over America this month, August 2022, mm-hmm. but their only European date is mm. August 28th at the All Points East Festival in London. Um, that was a single from 2019 from Los Angeles, Starcrawler and No More Pennies. It never fails to amuse me that given, as we've discussed before, this sort of age gap between the two of us yeah. and, the, and, and how I'm meant to be this podcast token young person, one of my greatest sources of new music is you. <laughs> you often introduce me to things on this podcast that I'm not, I mean, I'd never heard of Starcrawler. Genuinely, the, the name had not passed my brain. And I really like that. It's the kind of music that I really like. Sadly, I can't attend all points because I will be at Hastings Pride on that Ooh, weekend because it's a bank holiday. Well, yes, indeed, it's going to be a, a an experience i think but um yeah i i really like that i think that's really good and I, I i listened to some of the album that this is on and very much enjoyed it so i will definitely be investigating them more mm, that's good yeah they're really they're really great mm. um i mean no particular offense to helen brown <laughs> chris harvey and roisin o'connor who presumably are fine and tip-top journalists for the independent newspaper yes but this week, the, pub, the, the, the paper, The Independent, published one of those annoying lists, um, lists com- compiled by um, those three previously mentioned writers yes. that make me squirm. So obviously are they designed as clickbait to almost force engagement. Yes. 40 albums to listen to before you die is the piece in question. And firstly, <laughs> why 40? Why not 10, 50, yes. 100, 10,000? 40, a weird number. Secondly, who are you three to tell me <laughs> I must listen to these albums? 40 of them. That adds up to about 24 hours of my life. I'm not giving you that. <laughs> who do you three think you you are to imply my life will have been wasted if I haven't listened to your stupid suggestions? I haven't even bothered looking at their list, list jewels, <laughs> and I refuse to do so. I mean, as always, I admire your, your tenacity and your just bloody-mindedness, really. <sighs> You're an inspo to us all. This is what... I think we could talk for a very long time about journalism and, and perhaps what what in journalism has gone wrong, why are newspapers and magazines a dying medium, all that kind of stuff. The rise of the listicle, as this would be known yeah. as, can probably be contributed to that. I do actually have some books. There was a series of books, a thousand and one blank you must blank before you die. And oh so I've got a God. I've got a thousand and one albums. A there is a web Yes, so there's a website that's linked to this, which is actually quite interesting. A friend of mine did this during lockdown, um, worked his way. No, he did the Rolling Stones top 500, I think, but he worked his way through. But this website, it's got an auto generator. And I did this for, for a few weeks. You click the auto generator and it gives you an album. You think, oh, yeah, OK, I'll, re- I'll listen to this. So these things, I think the problem is, is that these articles, Terence, are you're right in that they're very clickbaity. However... The the book and the book is genuinely great, by the way. I would recommend the book because each um each sort of is periodically updated and each album gets its own page and it, and and the, most of the writing is quite interesting actually. But I I, I take your point. Mm. It's not aimed at us, Terence. Uh. This is aimed at people. And, and, you know, again, my toes slightly curl when I say this. This is perhaps aimed at either young people or new to vinyl people who are building a collection with no knowledge. And I think we've all been in this state, Terence, but particularly if we're sort of teenagers interested in music, when you don't 
you don't know about things necessarily, and particularly if your parents don't like that sort of music. You know, I did need someone to tell me that Tapestry by Carole King is good. I did need someone mm. to tell me that, that that Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is good. My parents did have that actually, but still. But um, it's it's so perhaps you could take a charitable interpretation of this. Is perhaps this is a good way of in, of, of introducing clueless people to music. However, there is always, and as you rightly say in your in your surly and churlish comments, mm. which I very much support. Um, there's always an element of gatekeeping to this, isn't there? A sort of a, yes. if it's not on our list, yes. then if, if your name's not Danny, not coming in. If it's not on our list, then you simply cannot listen to I don't know Kajagoogoo or whatever because it's not it's not on their list. It's I mean I the thing is is that I know that these lists are horrible sneery gatekeeping things, but as a completist style person, they always appeal to me despite my better judgment. Um, there's also a thousand and one books to read before you die um, amongst other things. I think there might be a films one and I think I've got a TV series one. It's um, a friend of mine used to do picture editing for it but um, I, I get the kind of the the sort of the, the, the completist in me understands it but it is hard to embrace if you're put off by the sort of gatekeeping really. I mean occasionally I get asked to recommend records to people and part of me thinks you know what why are you asking me do you know what i mean why and and, and it, the reverse of who are these people to tell me i think well why are you asking me how do you think i'm qualified but i think sometimes people that want to be more interested in things want others to have expertise but and, and they want to trust people's opinions but perhaps sometimes a better way and more interesting way of looking at it is when they we ask musicians and artists themselves to talk about the records that inspired them and that can often be quite interesting but yeah like you there's a gatekeeping element to this that I find a little bit difficult having said that the completest in me usually wins out and that's not hugely surprising given our personalities I think um yeah, this I'm just thinking about this one thousand and one series that you're talking about. Yeah, just thinking first of all, I mean, I've got someone in, on their on their deathbed. They've read a thousand of these, right? And they're they're saying, oh, I've got hold on. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I haven't quite finished Tess of the Durbervilles. I can't go yet. You know, it's just, it's, it's just sort of it's, ludicrous. I mean, it's it maybe it's just a um. It's um yeah, a thousand and one albums you must hear before you die. Well, there have been various editions of this which have different um different sort of albums on the on the cover. Um it's it's um I mean, like you say, maybe this is just a sort of shock title to draw people in. I hope so, because a thousand and one albums, I've just been a bit generous here and say they're all thirty mm. minutes, though often many are much yes. longer. That's five hundred hours. Um, that's 20 days of your life, uh, 24 hours a day listening, 20 days of your life that I know, you've I mean, got to give up to mad, somebody else's recommendations. And the funny thing the funny thing about it is, is that, yes, it's much more wide than, say, even the Rolling Stones 500s. It's literally is twice as big. But mm. but then again, when it comes to, and we talked about this previously, albums that, that are seen as the all-time greatest, you, you would think with this 1001 albums, oh, you know, how um, in the 2017 edition, you think oh maybe you could be more innovative that's loads of albums isn't it you could include some really interesting things artists with the most albums in the 2017 edition 20 so so these people have nine albums david bowie john lennon paul mccartney neil young and these are either by themselves or as part of the beatles 
um, Wings, uh, Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Crosby, Nash & Young. Eight albums, George Harrison. Seven albums, The Beatles, Bob Dylan, Brian Eno, uh, Morrissey. And then six albums, Elvis Costello, The Rolling Stones, Paul mm. Simon, Simon Garfunkel. These are the same people again, aren't they? Yes, these are not. Exactly. These are not. Um, these are not new things. So, yeah. so it's interesting. I find it quite interesting. The one thing I do find interesting about this, the fact that it's first published in two thousand and five, and they periodically update it. I find the later years quite interesting because what they're set effectively having to do is they're having to take a punt on which albums are going to endure. So, so whereas, you know, we all know by now that the Beatles albums have and probably will endure. We know that the 70s classics that always appear on these lists are Tapestry, What's Going On, Rumours, Dark Side of the Moon, all that kind of stuff. And this is sort of stuff like I've, I've just alluded to that it's the same stuff that we know. It's the same canon. I find it interesting that they're having to gamble on what albums from the 2000s onwards are going to take up those positions. So from that perspective, I find that quite interesting. But mm. like you say, a thousand and one, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Oh, these these people, uh, so many <laughs> such and such things do. Says who? I mean, just take a walk. That's all I'm saying to these people. <laughs> but you um, could listen to an album at the same time. If <laughs> you have headphones. <laughs> but why not both dog gifts? There, there are some characters, uh, sports people, musicians, mm. actors, who seem to be forever alongside us from from us being young children and then onwards through life. And there's a very special number who never let us down. And in Bernard Cribbin's case, yes. appear in warm, uplifting films and TV shows. What a career, George, from Hole in the Ground, Wrong Arm of the Law, Faulty Towers, The Wombles, Railway Children. We'll miss Bernard Cribbin's. Oh, very much so. What a contribution he's made to British cultural life. The most amazing thing I think about him is that he's managed to be this sort of he grew into being this kind of very reassuring figure for sort of families and, and young children. Yeah, I'm sort of speaking to people about about him over the last sort of week or two that that seemed to endure for generations so he seemed to have that role usually with some of these figures there's one particular generation of children that will remember them multiple generations of children remember bernard cribbins as as being you know from the railway children or his wonderful appearance in doctor who in which he he accidentally i doubt he did this deliberately but accidentally stole david tennant's exit scene from him by being so sort of um just so moving i i thought i thought it was wonderful he's in the best episode i mean i know that the the the, the don't mention the war episode of 40 towers is the one that's Mm. mentioned the most but the hotel inspectors destroyed me when i first saw (laughs) it i just thought it was the most it was it was one of those things it's it's awful i love it in terms of how cringing it is and john cleese's sort of outboard motors kind of moment (laughs) towards the end and the high pitch that still makes me laugh every time but yes the um the the and the the kind of the the appearance of bernard cribbins and almost almost sort of um non kind of bernard cribbins-esque in that he grew into this very sort of kindly figure that was that was you know very an endlessly reassuring presence like i say but um but yeah they, but yeah he was so fussy and annoying in this and although although, uh, Basil Forty is an awful man we all sympathise with him in this and it's quite fun that it's Bernard Cribbins that's playing this kind of sort of antagonist in it but yeah I'll miss Bernard Cribbins very much I think that he produced such a body of work 
and there was never I mean there was never really any scandal was there really it wasn't like the sort of the he's not one of the U3 massive is he and so many figures from that generation have become tainted or problematic in in how we can kind of enjoy them and Bernard Cribbins just got on with being Bernard Cribbins really and and you know some brilliant brilliant sort of um like you say some some brilliant kind of appearances in things he i always forget that he was in the carry-on he was in some of the carry-ons yeah. um which is he had a, a career that seemed to span everything um he he narrated the wombles that's probably my favorite bernard cribbins moment i the wombles which although it was on in the 70s it seemed to endlessly be repeated on ITV in like sort of eighty nine ninety. Whenever I whenever I would watch it after school, it was always on. And just just you know, I I I'm so pleased that we had Bernard Cribbins along, is what I would say. And and that I was able to, you know, he he narrated the Wombles in the seventies. I enjoyed it in the nineties. He was the title role in the CBB series Old Jack's Boat from two thousand and thirteen two thousand and fifteen. To be able to give that comfort to people across multiple generations is brilliant. So uh, rest in power, Bernard Cribbins. Thank you so much for being along. You mentioned Old Jack's Boat. I was talking to uh, Helen Lederer at the time oh, yes. and uh, she she was cast in it and um, she said, you know, just what a lovely, lovely man he was. So even right up towards the end, he was a joy to work with, apparently. I used to see Sweet Bernard Cribbins quite regularly because he lived um, just up the road from, from oh, here. Oh, yes, but, okay. Um, by the River Way um, in Weybridge. And he could often be, he used to just go out for a stroll around the town. Mm. You see him quite regularly. I remember many years ago, um, I was taking part in a charity cricket match at Byfleet, which is just next door to Mm. Weybridge. And Bernard Cribbins was wandering around the boundary selling (laughs) raffle tickets. And, you know, again, really happily, I confirmed he was just as sweet and lovely in real life. I mean, that's that's lovely to hear. And actually, interestingly, I always I think you can tell quite a lot about people from the title of their autobiographies and and how they're pitching themselves. In 2018, his autobiography was published and it is called Bernard Who, question mark, (laughs) 75 years of doing just about anything, which I really like because it, it, it really sort of leans into the fact that he just was in everything. And apparently, and this is slightly sad, but I wonder if there is a way around this. A successful social media campaign in 2022 led to his autobiography being recorded as an audio book with Bernard Cribbins as the narrator, but it was uncompleted when he passed away. So it's so I wonder if there is a way in the same way as, as John Peel passed away halfway through writing his autobiography and then his wife took up the, the reins. Sadly, Bernard Cribbins' wife no longer with us either. Yeah. But maybe there is a way of people kind of I know that we always slag off talking heads, not the band, but people being talking heads mm. in documentaries. Perhaps if we had them along for an audio book, that might be nice. If there is enough of Bernard Cribbins narrating his life, I could certainly go for him and then other people interjecting. Wouldn't that be a nice tribute? Yes. Artificial intelligence maybe could step in and uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, recreate his voice rather like Abba. Say, yeah, Roe Bernard Cribbins could do yes. the second part maybe. A lovely man. So farewell, Bernard Cribbins. Yes, fair, a fond farewell to Bernard Cribbins. As ever, thank you very much for listening. Very uh, much agree. Yes, very much so. Talking of national treasures, another national treasure are uh, Juliet. She's on the radio this Sunday. <laughs> I mean, yeah, national, very localised treasure, I think. And even then, I think the word treasure is doing a lot of heavy lifting here. But still, yes, I'll be back on 
um, on Noisebox, which I very much enjoy being on, Noisebox Radio, Noisebox, uh, Noisebox uh, Radio.com. You can join uh, join me there 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday evenings where I do smooth sailing, which is basically stuff that is really fun, but not too, not too hectic, just a, a relaxing, uplifting way to uh, end one week and look towards another. A terrific track. Uh, new to me, Jules, uh, to play us out. Yes, I, I thought I'd pick this some years ago, but apparently not. Um, Kay Tempest, a poet and performer, um, they have produced some wonderful records over the years, sort of unexpectedly, I think. Um, I absolutely adore this. It's got such a bounce to it. And the the sort of when, you know, people think about performance poetry, I, I often laugh because I think of a, a, someone put on Twitter ages ago, um, a, a, a photograph of like a club and um and uh, a, a little a little sign that says performance poetry upstairs and this person tweeted it with the caption goes downstairs so i get <laughs> i get why some people are not keen this but the thing i love about this is that it finds a space and co-tempest output with the sound of rum as well very much finds this space between sort of singing and speaking and poetry and almost rapping and it's relentless and it's irresistible on this track i adore this this is k-tempest and the beigeness who's the kitty in the jackal hat to the kitty in a rooney shirt dragging back the curtains in the room in her daddy's flat a young girl heard the truth in an alley cat howling on the roof next door imagine that all your idols were just like you nothing's beyond you do what you want to do if you feel that it wants you to look true never meant nothing more than it means right now and everything's fake but you and your deepest reaches keeping secrets know what it takes to make a meaning mean something i'm moving through a space that some can't see i know this space exists so do you When you're ready to receive it 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. So Charlie and me had an awful cup of tea and then we went on.